If you have your Bibles with you, would you turn to the 23rd Psalm? Your know, life is a series of choices, and you've already made several today. You chose to get out of bed. You chose whether to have a Pop-Tart or Fruit Loops. You chose what to wear. You chose where to park. You chose where to sit. You're choosing whether to listen to me or not. Life is a series of choices, and ultimately, success in life depends upon the wisdom of those choices. You see, we make our decisions, and then our decisions make us, because every choice has a consequence. And because of that, sometimes decision-making can become very stressful. Have you ever been afraid you might make the wrong decision? Of course you have. Have you ever made a decision and then second-guessed your decision? Of course you have. Well, we've seen already in this psalm that God meets our sheepish needs of worry, of busyness, of damaged emotions. This morning we're going to see how he meets our need of indecision in verse 3. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now I know that some of you, as you sit here this morning, are facing a major decision. Should I hold on or let go? Should I get in or get out? Should I get married? Should I take that new job? Well, the antidote is to let God lead you. You see, the Good Shepherd not only feeds us, he leads us. He not only provides, he guides. He not only protects, he directs. Now, I know that we're dealing this morning with a subject that is probably the most confusing subject for Christians. And if you're not confused, just ask a number of Christians what the will of God is, and you'll be confused. Because nobody seems to be able to define what it is, but everybody has strong feelings about it. And there are two major attitudes about the will of God. One is that it's awful, and the other is that it's elusive. The first is that it's awful, that God has devised the most miserable, torturous, unfulfilling lifestyle imaginable, and if you follow him, that's exactly what you'll get. He'll strip you of your personality. He'll make you wear out-of-date clothes and talk in King James English. He'll take all the fun out of life. I mean, if you yield to him, he'll stick you in some mucky tribe in a remote part of Africa, and you'll be wearing a pith helmet and speaking Swahili for the rest of your life. Growing up, that was my attitude toward the will of God. It was a fearful thing for me. I enjoyed athletics, and I figured if I ever gave God his way, he would break both of my legs and make me a flute player. Now, where do we get that from? Well, it's a combination of Satan's lie and our misunderstanding of just who God is. You see, we see God as always wanting the worst for us. 
You know where we get that from? We get that from insurance policies. Ever look on the bottom of your insurance policy, Rob Russler? It says acts of God. And what are the acts of God? Hurricane, tornado, flood. You get the idea. All God wants to do is destroy our lives. Our first misconception of the will of God is that it's awful. Our second attitude toward it is that it is elusive. That God has a plan for you, and you want it, but you can't seem to find it. And some of us have the idea that God is kind of like a cosmic Easter bunny. He's up in heaven. He's hidden his will under a bush. And he's saying to you, you're getting warmer. And the result is that most Christians are sitting and waiting and doing nothing, and you ask them, what are you doing? And they're saying, I'm waiting to find out or I'm searching for the will of God. And a lot of Christians search in strange ways. Heard about a farmer who for years wanted to be an evangelist. One day he stopped in his field to rest under a tree and he looked up in the sky and he saw that the clouds formed the letters PC. He, he immediately hopped up, sold his farm, and went out to preach Christ. Well, he preached at several country churches with no results, and after a period of time when it was apparent that he wasn't gifted to preach, a friend came up and asked him how he knew it was God's will for him to sell his farm and be an evangelist. And he described how he saw the clouds spelling PC, and he said, that was God telling me to preach Christ. And his friend said, well, after hearing you preach, I think that was God telling you to plant corn. <laughs> Does God have a plan for my life? Does God have a plan for your life? Yes, he does. Is it awful? No. Romans 12, 2 says that the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. Is his plan elusive? Of course not. God is my shepherd, and he wants to guide me. In fact, God wants to guide you more than you want to be guided. Would you agree with that? God wants to guide you more than you want to be guided. Now, I want to be real practical today because there is no subject more practical than this one, how God guides us in life. So I simply want to share with you six things that I have learned from following the shepherd. Number one, the first step is a doozy. D-O-O-Z-Y. I have found that God does not lead me until I am totally willing to go. God doesn't come to me and say, here's the path I want you to go down, now what do you think? God doesn't give us veto rights. When we are willing to say to God, I will go anywhere, I will do anything, even if it requires a pith helmet, when I have that attitude of total willingness, then 
God shows me the path. Listen to what Jesus said in John 7, 17. If any man is willing to do his will, he shall know of the teaching whether it is of God. The prerequisite to knowing God's will is a total willingness to do it. When you are committed to go, God will show you the path. You remember the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? Indiana Jones has to cross a chasm to reach the Holy Grail. And to do so, he has to step out by faith on an invisible bridge. A bridge he can't see. And so the first step is a doozy because he has to commit himself before he knows the path is there. And I want to suggest to you that that's the way it always is on God's path. The first step is a doozy because I have to be totally committed. And it may look like I'm going to fall to the bottom of the chasm, but I have to be totally committed in trusting God until he shows me the path. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. When will He make your paths straight? When you trust in the Lord with most of your heart and acknowledge Him in some of your ways? No. You see, with God, it's all or nothing. The first step is a doozy. Second thing, following the shepherd will cost you. After feeding the 5,000 in Luke 9.23, Jesus gave them this invitation. He said, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, Jesus made it clear that following him would cost you. And how much would it cost you? It would cost you your entire self. You have to start by denying yourself. You have to stop following yourself in order to follow him. In Matthew 7, 14, Jesus said there are two roads through life. There is the broad road that leads to destruction, and many are traveling on it. And then he said, there's the narrow road that leads to life, and few are those who find it. God's road is narrow. And there can be two things we are sure of. Number one, if you take God's road, you will not be as popular as you were on the other road. And if you take God's narrow way, it will not be as easy. It will cost you something to follow the Good Shepherd. Many of us have memorized Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that 
you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now what's that verse tell us about the will of God? Two things. Number one, it's good and acceptable and perfect. It's exactly what you have been looking for all along. And secondly, it's something that we prove. It's something that we live out. We don't ponder the will of God. We prove the will of God. We don't speculate about it. We live it out. And how do we live it out? The first step is I have to present my body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. You see, following God's path is costly because there is a death involved, and that death is you. Now let's put that into practical terms. In order to say yes to God, I first have to say no to myself. If I'm going to follow the Good Shepherd, I have to stop making my priority what pleases me and start making my priority what pleases God. Following the shepherd will cost you. Third thing I've learned. Parts of God's path are clearly marked. I want you to look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 9. Paul is writing, he says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. Notice that. Filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of of the Lord. Now, I simply read this verse to point out to you one simple thing, and that is Paul doesn't pray that we will find God's will. He prays that we will be filled with God's will. His desire is not that you go out and search for it. His desire is that you be saturated with it. Now, turn over a few pages to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17. Paul is writing again. He says, So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now what's another word for foolish? Dumb. Stupid. What does Paul say you are if you don't understand the will of God? You're dumb. You're stupid. So you see, obviously there are parts of God's path that are clearly defined. There are parts of God's plan that we need to understand, and if we don't understand them, it's just because we're being foolish. And the part of God's path that is clearly defined for us is the moral part of that path. You see, when it comes to the moral issues of life, it's not a matter of my understanding them, it's a matter of my obeying them. 
For instance, if you're dating a non-Christian, you don't need to pray and ask God whether you need to get married because God's already answered that. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. The answer is no. If you're in a relationship and you're doing things that are sexually impure, you don't have to come to God and ask Him if that's okay. He's already answered that. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion. God's will is that you be sexually pure. If you're struggling with obeying the speed limit signs, if you're struggling with the tax laws, if you're struggling with your boss at work, if you're fighting with your parents at home, you don't need to ask God about that. He's already answered. 1 Peter 2.13 says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right, for such is the will of God. It's God's will that you submit. You see, in moral areas, our prayer needs to be like the prayer of David. In Psalm 143.10, he said, Teach me to do thy will. Not teach me to find your will. Teach me to do thy will. Parts of God's path are clearly marked. And then a fourth thing about following the shepherd. Following requires listening. John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You see, the shepherd speaks to the sheep. You say, well, God has never spoken to me. Well, maybe that's because you're not listening. Or maybe that's because you don't want to hear. You see, listening to the Good Shepherd has nothing to do with having good ears. It has a lot to do with having a good heart. Psalm 25, 9 says, He guides the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. He guides the humble and he teaches the humble. Now, why is it that he leads the humble? Because the humble are willing to admit that they need to be led. The humble are willing to say, I need a shepherd. You know, when I'm driving on a trip and we get lost, I don't like to stop and ask for directions. This is confession time. You know why I don't like to stop and ask? Because I'm too proud. I think I can do it myself. And when I get off track in life, there are times when I don't want to stop and ask God for help. Why not? Because I'm too proud. And I think I can do it myself. We need the attitude of Paul. Right after he discovered who Jesus is on the Damascus Road, he asked this question. It's recorded in Acts 22.10. What shall I do 
Lord? You see, when we are asking that question from a humble heart, then we're ready to hear his voice. Now, what are some of the ways the Lord speaks to us? Well, one way is the Bible. That's why we call it God's Word. It is God speaking to you. And a lot of the direction we need in life is already given to us in God's Word. But let me add this. You need to be reading it every day. You say, well, God is not speaking to me. Well, are you reading the Bible? You see, if you're not reading the Bible every day, that's like having your phone off the hook. God speaks through His Word. And secondly, I would say, you need to read it systematically. Some people approach the Bible in the cafeteria style. Skip and dip. You know, and when you, when you need direction in life, you close your eyes, open the Bible, and point, and try to find some little nugget that's going to lead you. But you don't take the time to study the Word systematically. I heard about a fellow one time who tried that method, and he pointed to a verse, and it said, Judas went out and hanged himself. He said, well, that can't be God's will. So he turned a few pages and put his finger down again and said, go thou and do likewise. <laughs> so he flipped back again and stuck his finger down and said, what thou doest, do quickly. <laughs> he learned to study systematically. God speaks through the Bible. Second way God speaks is through teachers. Have you ever been sitting in a, in a crowd like this and... You said, he's speaking directly to me. Now, why do you say that? Because he is speaking directly to you. God speaks through gifted, godly teachers. Several people came up to me last week and said, that message was for me. Now, let me, let me confess again. I am not smart enough to figure out what everybody needs. I can't go around and read all your mail and figure out exactly what you need and put it into a mess. I'm not smart enough to do that. But I do go before God and say, God, as I'm preparing this message, you use this message to speak to the people who will be there on Sunday. And God does that. He speaks through teachers. That's why you don't want to skip a Sunday, because you may miss when God had a message for you. Third way God speaks is what I'll call impressions. In Acts 8, Philip was directed by God to go into the desert, and then he was led to the Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts 9, Ananias was told by God in a vision to go and lay hands on Saul of Tarsus. In Acts chapter 10, Peter was directed by God to go to the house of Cornelius. In a prayer meeting in Acts 13, the Holy Spirit called Paul and Barnabas to go on a missionary journey. In Acts 16, Paul was led by a vision to go into Macedonia. And God may speak to you personally and directly about something he's calling you to do. God has spoken to me in that way in the past. But there are two extremes with this issue. The rationalist says God never speaks through impressions. And the mystic says every impression is from God. You know, if God wakes you up in the middle of the night with heartburn, you say, that must be God trying to tell me something. Well, no, that could be a bad burrito. You have to be careful. 
You see, the devil can also give you impressions. And that's why we have to be very careful in this area to test it by the Word of God. Fourth way God speaks is through circumstances. Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. When he got there, he then ended up by no action of his own in prison. Circumstances he had no control over. What was God doing through those circumstances? He was preparing Joseph to be the prime minister of Egypt. When Paul and Barnabas were in Philippi in Acts 16, they got thrown in prison and then there was an earthquake. What was God doing through those circumstances? He was leading them to the Philippian jailer. You see, sometimes in life we pray, God lead me, then we have some difficult circumstances and we complain about the circumstances. You see, we need to realize that sometimes God uses even the, the adverse circumstances in our lives to lead us to an opportunity. But you also need to be careful with circumstances because sometimes the enemy can give you opportunities. Remember when Jonah tried to run from God? He went down to Joppa and there just happened to be a ship heading for Tarshish. He could have said, my, what a coincidence. God must be leading me. When in fact, Satan gave him a perfect opportunity to run from God. Every open door is not God's open door. And then the fifth way God speaks is through suffering. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain." You ever notice that? When things are going well, we don't always hear God as well as we do when we're in pain. Largely because we're listening a lot better when we're suffering. Took the thorn in Paul's flesh in 2 Corinthians 12 to lead him to the truth that God's grace is sufficient and that God's power is perfected in weakness. God is speaking a lot more than we realize. And if we're going to follow Him, it requires listening. Fifth thing about following the shepherd. Some choices are left up to us. You know, as a parent, there have been times when I made choices for my kids. And there have been other times when I gave them the information and I let them make the choice themselves. Because making choices is part of the maturing process. And sometimes God does that same thing with us. You know, when Paul went on his first missionary journey, there was a prayer meeting and the Holy Spirit said, set apart Paul and Barnabas. You know what triggered his second missionary journey? Look at Acts chapter 15 and verse 36. <clears throat> Acts 15, 36. It says, And after some days Paul said to Barnabas, 
Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. That's it. There was no blinding light out of heaven, no vision, no voice. He just decided to go because he cared about the people. You see, sometimes God leaves the choices up to us. Now, there are some Bible teachers who teach that God has a detailed plan for every Christian's life. That every choice you make is important because you've got to stay on that very detailed plan, blueprint, that God has for you. I don't believe that. And the reason I don't believe that is because if that were true, then a lot of scriptures wouldn't make any sense. In fact, let me show you a scripture. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 39. 1 Corinthians 7, 39. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Now, if God had a detailed blueprint for your life, you would think that who you married would be one of the key things in that because that's one of the big decisions of life. But if you will look at this verse, who is the widow to marry? Whoever she wants to. You see that? She's to marry whomever she wishes. The only condition is in the Lord has to be a Christian. You see, this is one of those areas where God gives us the information. He says, here are the characteristics of a godly spouse. And he says, if you decide to stay single, here are your responsibilities. If you decide to marry, here are your responsibilities. It's your choice. Some choices are left up to us. Now I can see I've troubled some of you because you thought your marriage was made in heaven. I'm convinced that I probably could have married a hundred different women and been in God's will. But I chose the best. So I'm in trouble now. I shouldn't have even said that. <laughs> Stick to the notes. <laughs> Sixth thing, and final thing. God's path doesn't always make sense. Have you noticed this? Sometimes we follow the good shepherd and he leads us down a path we don't understand. It may be a path of pain. It may be a path of suffering. It may be a path of loss. It may be a path like the one we're going to look at next Sunday in the next verse, the, the valley of the shadow of death. God's path doesn't always make sense. And if you haven't discovered that yet, you will. So I want to prepare you for it.
Now, what do I do when this happens? What do I do when God's path doesn't make any sense? Well, I found I need to keep two things in mind. Number one, I need to realize that I am not walking alone. Listen to Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he shall not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. Wow. When you're walking down that narrow path and it gets slippery and it gets steep and your feet seem to give way, God says you're not going to fall because I'm holding your hand. You need to realize when the path doesn't make any sense that you're not walking alone. And then secondly, I never judge the path God leaves me on, leads me on until the end. I never judge the path God is leading me on until I get to the end. Israel spent 400 years in captivity in Egypt, and then Moses came and said, let my people go. And they were finally delivered, and the first thing they came to was what? The Red Sea. Big Red Sea, no way to cross it. On the left was a mountain range, on the right was a mountain range, and behind them was now the Egyptians who had changed their mind. Now from their perspective, this looked like a dead end. This was a path God led them down that didn't make any sense. What was God doing? God was preparing them for a miracle. You know, there, there's one of those rides. I think it was at Disney World. It might have been called Mr. Toad or something. You, you get in a little car and you're riding through the little place and, and you come and, and it looks like you're going to run right into a wall. But when you get right up to the wall, you find that the wall is a door. And you go through it. Have you ever noticed that sometimes things that look like walls in life become doors. Sometimes I don't understand why I'm in this situation, why I'm on this path. It's not making any sense. I see a big wall in front of me. And if I keep moving and trusting God, it becomes a door. Sometimes I stand at the Red Sea in life and I see no way across. And every way I look, there's, an, there's, there's a problem. And yet I have to wait and see the salvation of God as He provides a way through the Red Sea. And while you're waiting for the sea to part, don't be like the children of Israel. Don't criticize an unfinished plan. You know, you are, going to under, you, are, you are not going to understand a lot of things that happen in your life until you get to heaven. Would you agree with that? You're not going to understand until you get to heaven. Then you're going to say, God, you were so wise. You gave me exactly what I needed. Decisions. Indecision. We need to follow the shepherd. Let me close by saying this. 
the most important decision you will ever make is who is going to guide my life. Am I going to follow the Good Shepherd or am I going to go it alone? And as you're making that decision, I want you to consider this. The Bible tells us the end result of going it alone. Proverbs 14:12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Left to ourselves, we always take dead-end paths. Now compare that with where God, the Good Shepherd, leads us. Proverbs 12, 28. In the way of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. Do you want to choose a way that leads to death, or do you want to choose a way that leads to life? Do you want to continue down the broad road that leads to destruction, or are you willing to, make, to take God's narrow path that leads to life? The most important decision you will ever make in life is who's going to guide me. Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, and he invites you to come to him, and he will hold your hand through the paths of life and lead you to eternal life in His presence. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word today. We thank You for this passage of Scripture that reminds us that You are our shepherd and You guide us into the paths of righteousness for Your name's sake. And Father, I pray as Your sheep that we might be more faithful in listening to Your voice and in following you so that our lives might be such that they please you and honor you and bring you all the glory, we pray in Jesus' worthy name. Amen.